Hello, butterflies in the TOU community. Welcome to a new episode of Changemaker Insights. I'm Ann Fisher, a senior learning designer at TOU and the host of the show. Today, we dive into a longer episode where we will be discussing boundaries. Boundaries and limits you set with others are an essential part of your health and well-being, whether it be physical, mental, or emotional. However, especially for new entrepreneurs and students, this can be tough. In this episode, I sit down with Shane, where we discuss all things boundary setting. Shane provides some tips on setting boundaries, the difference between hard and soft boundaries, and how we can use habit stacking to stick to these boundaries. Without further ado, let's get started. Shane, thanks so much for joining me here in studio today. I'm super excited to talk with you about boundaries today. This is a topic we can all benefit from, especially our learners, as they have a lot to balance between work, life, and their studies. You're an American living in Portugal and studying at TOU. Would you care to tell me a little bit more about yourself, your job, and maybe how you even ended up in Portugal? Absolutely. Thank you, Anne, for having me on your on your podcast. So I am indeed, uh, it's been, we're almost to the year anniversary of our move to Portugal. And we were able to do this because both my wife and I are able to work remotely. So um, we're both, we both, actually, we have a business together. And uh, we both work in various different forms of consulting. So she's a consultant on the operations side primarily, and I'm consultant on uh, human systems, uh, technology, and process around um, agile methodologies largely, though the goal is not agile. The goal is to actually work better towards a meaningful goal, which I think is very relevant to the conversation we'll be having today. Absolutely. So today, like I said, we're going to be talking about uh, about boundaries, and I was kind of doing a bit of, of research, as I always do for these podcasts, and um I came across a, 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 an article in the Harvard Business Review that um, kind of defined boundaries as um, who we give power to. This is why we set boundaries and yeah. kind of a, they allow us to decide when and how and if we want to give this power away. And that's kind of a really, a, yeah, em- empowering quote. Um, but however, to get there into this boundary setting, we actually have to define where our boundaries are and what uh, they are. And this is not easy for anybody Um and in addition to to, to, to to study, no, no. In addition to studying um, at TOU, you know, you run your own business, and, and we you've mentioned before in, in our conversations in the past that um, you teach boundary setting to your clients. So, um, would you care to elaborate on that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, full transparency as far as my business go, I haven't yet had business in TOU. I haven't yet had that stressed. However. Um, at the end of this month, I'm expecting things to ramp up very rapidly with a client, all going well, uh, where I will definitely have that stressed. But um, boundary setting is an interesting one because, in, funny enough, I don't come from a long line of great people who are great with boundaries. In fact, um, most of my family was absolutely abysmal with it. And it wasn't until later in life. It's, it's interesting to talk about who you give power to. And um, one of the things that is really interesting about boundaries, I think, is that uh, if you don't set them, you're basically just giving away all of your power. You're, you're, you're setting yourself up for a very hard time because people are going to cross boundaries. You have it defined, things that you don't. And you're either going to get extremely depressed um, or angry. 
upset about this because you're not getting your needs met. And I think that boundaries in many ways are an expression of needs. So how do you say, this is one of the things I need for me to advance forward? So one thing um, I was thinking about in some of our, um, some of the questions that uh, you sent to me and, you know, thinking through things Mm -hmm. was the, there's an interesting distinction between internal boundaries, your own boundaries of your own behavior and boundaries uh, in your relationships, whether it be, um, whether it be a romantic relationship or team relationships, business partner relationships, what have you, there's, um, there's some nuances there. So I think the first part is your personal work. What's important to you? What are your goals? What do you want to achieve? Like, um, say, in my case, uh, my weight has always been a challenge and setting boundaries on foods that I might eat or things like that. I have a goal. My goal is to be healthy and uh, energetic and so forth. Well, what behaviors help move me towards that? What behaviors move me away? And boundaries can be a way of tuning that behavior. So in my work, a lot of times I'm working, I do work with individuals quite a bit um, who are, you know, working on going through pretty challenging, transformative times. Like, for instance, a classic thing uh, that comes up in my work a lot is somebody moving from being a, um, a directive leader to a supportive leader, which is an extremely difficult change. So how do they set their internal boundaries about how they wish to show up? But after you do the work on the internal boundaries, uh, then you're set to try to do work with somebody in partnership. And that's about kind of coming up with a charter between you and the other person or, uh, oh, what's the, there's actually a specific word for it that is escaping me right now. Um, uh, I want to say it's an alliance, um, but it goes beyond just sort of, hey, ground rules. And it's like, hey, how do we work together towards this goal we both share? And the beauty of operating in that way is when things get tough, it's not if, it's when things get tough, you're able to say, hey, but we're still trying to go for this thing. So we're, we have different perspectives, but we still have the same goal. So it, one, of the, one of the things um, that was really interesting in your questions was to talk about how does it play into goal setting? And mm-hmm. I think it, it, I know we're going to get into habits as well. I think habits and boundaries are very synergistic, are um, inter-supporting tools to help you get towards a goal. They're just slightly different variations on it. And I know we'll get into habits later, but um, the boundaries I see as a way to say, hey, this is a sort of, this is how I want to show up. This is how I'm going to... um, organize my life, my relationship, et cetera. And as I mentioned before, my family has a abysmal history of boundary uh, setting. And I've seen many times, if you don't set a boundary, you're inviting others to just sort of... You walk all over you. Yeah, exactly. 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 So I I haven't seen that article that you mentioned, but I it sounds like I would agree with it wholeheartedly. <laughs> It'll it'll be in the uh, in the in the show notes in a sense. Uh, I'll have a link in there, so send it to you. Um, so you know, we talked you talked a lot about a lot of things. Say kind of kind of uh, setting goals that are that are important to you, but also kind of in the workplace. But um, you know, people might know that, like, yeah, I need to set my boundaries, and and 
it's a lot of um there's a there's a fine line between saying for example and and doing and yeah. um sometimes for a people like setting boundaries can also be kind of seeing it as essentially saying no which maybe for many people like personality wise or even within cultures it's not always accepted right and so even though it's essential to create um you know healthy habits and healthy relationships and support your needs um Sometimes it can be difficult, and and many of our listeners who are aspiring entrepreneurs, um, you know, who alongside their studies and their life, you know, are starting up a business, and they often have kind of clear goals, and um, but if they don't maybe, or maybe they struggle sometimes with communicating them. And I guess the question is, yeah. how can we best communicate these boundaries, yeah. um, walking that cultural personal fine line? That's a that that's a really good question because uh, and of course I'm going to show my consultant stripes here and saying it depends. Um, the first thing you have to do, you have to establish trust. Uh, you have to build a trusting relationship between you and the other party. Now that's not always possible, so there's different mechanisms uh, in different areas. If it's an interpersonal uh, relationship sort of a thing. Ideally, you built a high enough level of trust. Trust you can have a frank discussion. You can say, "Hey, you know, you know, this is what I like to do. This is oh, I'm actually in the the um, dream team module right now, and we're working on the personal user guide. We'll be coming mm-hmm. up real soon, and that's a fantastic way of displaying your boundaries in a way that is um, especially if you can encourage everybody to do it in your organization this fantastic way of saying hey this is me this is what my needs in a non non abrupt way if you will um, but sometimes you don't have that option sometimes you you need to have those discussions um, I'm a huge fan of team boundary setting where you come up with team agreements and things like this where you say hey this is acceptable behavior in our group, um, you know, if you're outside of our group, you do what you want. But within our group, this is what it means to be part of our group. So, but that's again, that's team boundary setting, which is a, a slightly different thing. But personal boundaries, I find the frank discussion is the key. I like to set expectations early. Uh, I don't know, I don't remember where I learned this, but. Um, it is irresponsible to get angry about a boundary you didn't communicate because ultimately if you didn't communicate your boundary, how does the other person know what they should or shouldn't do? So it can, you're going to feel what you can feel, of course. Um, but then ultimately if you didn't communicate your boundary, it's on you. Exactly. Actually, that reminds me um, very much of what we have to do in our, our company here. Um, when we have this kind of personal user manual, because, you know, being a remote company, um, you have a different kind of uh, relationship uh, to your colleagues because you don't always see them and stuff. And we have this kind of personal user manual. And in in the personal user manual, we are encouraged to say, like, this is what I like, this is what I don't like, even as far as communication on on, on a program such as Slack. Do not DM me unless it is, like, burning, you know, or do not tag me unless it's a burning issue. Otherwise, I will answer... um, you know, within a certain amount of time, you know, even setting those, those boundaries. But um, you mentioned, it was a good point that you mentioned about team boundaries, especially for those who are a bit um, unsure how to set boundaries themselves. Like first, you know, doing it as a team kind of takes the pressure off. This is what I've said, and therefore this is my boundary. Um, but, you know, working towards that larger goal as a team. <clears throat> and, um, but again, your point about communication comes out uh 
that's something that I think it's it, it, at least from my my experience as well. Um, working in places where um, boundaries or processes, even if you want to call it processes, can sometimes also be boundaries, uh, weren't even really set in the beginning uh, yeah. at, at starting up of this company, and then ten years later you come in and think. Uh, so uh, now we have to, to go back and create boundaries uh, for something that should have been set there from the beginning. So you make a really good point about communicating it and setting them up for the beginning. So any of the listeners who are really thinking about setting up their companies um, should really be uh, really be thinking about that. Yeah, having a frank discussion of acceptable behavior and acceptable behavior can be can go a huge long way. And there's another thing. There's two two points I want to make. Uh, about boundaries in that context as well is, um, yeah, you want them to be clear. You want them to be, or I guess more than two points. Uh, you want them to be clear. You want them to be easily ac accessed and known. And uh, part of that is you can't have too many. Too many boundaries is a, pretty much a guarantee that something's going to be violated because we can only hold, what, roughly five things in our head at any given point exactly. time when it comes to that day to day. Otherwise, and also if you have too many boundaries, then you've got a situation where somebody's over constrained and they can't actually get the job done. So you want to be very, very selective. And these boundaries, um, particularly on the team level, this is an extremely important. Everybody needs to feel like they have a say in forming those. You don't impose mm -hmm. boundaries on others. Now, this comes in interpersonal relationships, too. Uh, one of the things about forming boundaries um, in an interpersonal relationship is empathy is key. If I'm interacting with you and I say, oh, these are my boundaries and that's it and that's all. Now I'm trying to control you. Mm -hmm. And that's not a good place for us to actually have a meaningful interaction. But it's instead to say, hey, this these are my needs. This is what I need to be able to show up at my best. What are your needs? What do you need to show up at your best? Okay, cool. So how do we work together? Even if our needs are in conflict, with one another, how do we work together to get to this common goal? Exactly, that's actually some some uh, good insight there. Yeah, just you know, we talked about um, before. You know, this is my way of of, of creating control, but not trying to control everybody. You know, especially as you talk about this interpersonal relationships. Yeah, they can be a control mechanism. That can be. I've seen this unfortunately yeah. more times than I that I care to um, think of is. Companies, individuals, etc., um, using that as a way to try to control people. And if you try to control people um, instead of guide people, if you will, mm -hmm. um, and it's 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 problematic. It's also problematic if you don't give any batteries. One of the key components of psychological safety, which people have been learning a lot about psychological safety and there's a lot of misconceptions, but is well-set boundaries from the leaders. These are the guardrails. This is the area you're allowed to operate in. You know, there are some things which are completely out of line in our organization. You need to, you need to clearly specify that. Mm. So now you can come into that and say, okay, I know that's out of bounds. That's cool. But I can play all in this area. And again, you don't over-constrain your system. So what about the concept then of, of hard boundaries versus soft boundaries? Have you, yeah. do you work with that? Oh, heck yeah. That's, that is a, that is a key part of, uh, a key part of my life, I'd say, but I, I might have it in a slightly different, um, way of thinking about it than the class. Okay. So, um, I view hard boundaries, soft boundaries as a key aspect of prioritization. 
It's a kiosk. And I play this even on my vacations. Hey, what are the things I absolutely want to do on this vacation? Let's build a, really, a vacation around that. And then let the other stuff sort of fall into place as it does. So the same sort of thing with um, prioritization. What are the things that we absolutely have to get done for this thing to to work or to be deliverable or what have you? Why not start on those and then build out the rest of it? Well, now boundaries. What are the things which would violate my core values? What are the things which I am not willing to negotiate it on? Okay. Those are the first boundaries I want to focus on. Okay, what are the things which are my preferences, but, you know, I can live with it. All right, well, those, if you sort of work backwards from the things you're not willing to negotiate on it to things that are strong preferences, and eventually you're like, you know what, I'm cool. If we want to communicate in Slack, that's cool. If we want to communicate in email, I'll live with it, you know, um, so that's the sort of hard boundary, soft boundary. But yeah, like I say, it it plays into so many different aspects. Um, you can prioritization, um, planning, uh, what have you. Um, that same concept of focus on the most important things first. Get those locked in place. Then the next most important things and so forth. Sometimes that can be a little hard to determine. And I don't know about you, Anne, but I certainly have had times where I thought I was pretty good on my boundaries. And then all of a sudden some conversation or something comes up where you're surprised and you have to do a shift around. Absolutely. That's the uh, the vo- that's the new VUCA world. Anyway, it's yeah. prioritizing. <laughs> that's right. And they do... I think that's also another really important part of this whole discussion is all of this is flexible and needs to be revisited. Not not constantly, not like you come in every day and it's this whole storm of everything changing, but on a relatively regular basis because we're in a VUCA world and it's just going to become more and more intense as we go along. So how do we get good at communicating our needs? How do we get good at reassessing and then reevaluating, hey, this is this is what works for me. This is what works for you. How do we work together? Exactly. So let's let's say, you know, we talked about soft boundaries, hard boundaries, talked about setting boundaries, team boundaries, personal boundaries. Let's say our boundaries are now set. Yeah? How do we go about sticking to them? So we, you know, we talked a bit about well, habit building. This is where the idea of habit building um, could help. And um, I talked about habit stacking in a previous episode, but um, as you mentioned, you 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 follow that as well. So I'd be really curious to know about um, how you uh, use habit building uh, to stick to your boundaries, for example. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, a lot of times habits habits are an interesting one because. You know, there's, well, we'll go into the the mechanics of habits in just a little bit, but I think this kind of goes to the question about uh, how do you choose what to set a habit in? And me personally, um, it's anything that I'm going to eventually, my brain's going to say, you know, that's not really that fun. It's not entertaining. It's not something I'm going to generally do in my leisure time. And that is a strong candidate to be built into a habit because with a habit, it feels a little unnatural if you don't do it. So how does this, it complements boundary setting. It is not the same, but it does complement it in that, hey, I want to make this change in my life or I want to, I want to work in this particular way. I want to make sure that 
this thing adheres to this boundary. All right, so how do I set up a habit that does that? So right now, uh, one of one of the my goals is fitness um, because you know, it's important for all of us. And so one of the things to do to build a habit around was going to the gym on a regular basis. Now, some of that was coordination with a trainer, et cetera, but uh, my my wife and I go together, which is also a nice key for helping stick to a habit, et cetera, is having a partner in that. But we have two days a week that we would generally go and visit our trainer, and we set it up so that at this particular time, we know that this is what we're going to do, and it feels a little odd when we miss it. We'll be missing it tomorrow, so it's, it's friends that are on my mind right now. And I think that's where the power of habits and, and boundaries can come in because you've got a boundary you want to adhere to, whatever it happens to be, and you can use habit, habits as a way to activate on that boundary, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, and do you, how do you, so you know, you talked about here with your um, going to the fitness studio, um, but how do you identify habits that need to be built. So some habits maybe are a bit easier, they may become more automatically, but how do you identify ones that really need to be built? So that's like I say, that's the, those are the things that um, I'm not going to do naturally. Those are the things that I'm, when it, once it's going for a while, I'm probably going to lose interest and want to do something else. Um, and workouts are a great example of that because I am not a health nut. Um, so I will get to a point where it's like, you know, I just rather not go. Um, it's going to be uncomfortable. So a habit kind of helps you get over those sorts of habits or keeps keeps that flowing. And again, having a partner in the habit really, really helps with that. Another example from my, my life with my wife is um, we both had a shared goal that we we like to have our dishes clean and our kitchen reasonably clean at the end of the day. And we would have dinner and a lot of times we'd want to just sort of sit on the couch and not do much sort of a thing. Um, and I'll admit I'm, I'm often more guilty of that than she is. Um, so one of the, the habits that almost unconsciously built, but it, it's been turned out to be a really good one, is as soon as dinner's done, we get up, we walk to the kitchen together, taking our plates and all that, and wash the dishes. And, you know, if we still have stuff in the dishwasher, which is not uncommon, we put it away first. But it's one of these things where it's turned into something that is almost automatic. And sometimes one party or the other isn't able to do it. But we both know that we're both committed to it. So it improves our relationship. And even if we might be angry with one another, we still do that and often together. And it's a reinforcing factor in the relationship. Now, I'm not in love with doing dishes by any stretch of the imagination. Who is? But it's almost, it's, once you form that habit, it's almost unconscious. You just go and do it. That's what you do. And it is um, incredibly beneficial in multiple ways. Yeah, it sounds, uh, you know, very much that example sounds very much like the habit stacking. So already doing that habit on top of something that you already do, which is standing up from the dinner table. Then going to the to the kitchen to wash the dishes. So that's a that's, that's a really probably one of the most. I'm sorry for cutting you off. I think that's one of the most important uh, or most key ways that I actually build habits is the habit stacking technique. Because, uh, like another another habit that I um, have intentionally fostered 
is I'm right now I'm learning Portuguese since I live in Portugal. Um, and Portuguese is not an easy language to learn, or at least that's what everybody tells me here. Um, particularly European Portuguese. So uh, every morning though, I wake up and one of the first things I do is I go through, um, it would start Duolingo. Duolingo only has Brazilian Portuguese. It's um, language drops. I go through, I, I do my language drops, like five minutes, something like that. But it's one of those things where it feels a little weird if I don't do it. Like, mm-hmm. I haven't done it today yet. So I'll be doing that right after this call. It's one of those things where you find something you do every day, whether it be waking up, taking a shower, maybe just before bed, whatever. And you can use that as the trigger. So, and I'm guessing we're, we are going to be talking more about the structure of habits. Please. Yeah, I, definitely. Jump Absolutely. Okay, great. So where I learned about habits and started to tune it is um, the book, The Power of Habit by Juanses Duhigg. Yeah, Charles Duhigg, I think. Um, and... That book goes into the theory a lot. There's another one called Atomic Habits, which is supposed to be really good. I haven't read it. That goes more to the construction of habits. But in Power of Habit, he defined it as uh, habit being of three parts. The first part is the trigger. What starts this habit occurring? Second part is the action. What do you do once you're triggered? Then, and using trigger in in a a nicer term, I suppose, and then finally, uh, the reward. And the reward doesn't have to be like a physical reward or, you know, if you're doing fitness, a piece of cake. Um, it's It can be a sense of well-being. Hey, we accomplished that. So using the example of the dishes, the trigger is we finished dinner. Uh, it's a very clear, hey, this happened. Then the action as we clean up. The reward is taking a second, pausing and enjoying a clean kitchen. Uh, also, we have a secondary reward. Next time we want to use a dish or something, we've got clean dishes. Um, and of course, that also goes into keystone habits because that change, well, work out a better keystone habit, but it changes our dynamic and it may lead to other positive outcomes. Absolutely. But then, you know, you talk about tr- trigger action reward, but um, where do you, how do you identify the, the, the triggers, like where to then stack your habit onto. That's that's an interesting one. And uh, Duick definitely goes into a lot more detail on, on this. But me personally, uh, what I what I tend to look for is things where it will naturally flow. Uh, so you've got a number of different things. The more boundaries you have to performing the action, the less likely you're going to do it when the the chips are stacked against you. So how do you find something where you are going to be completely set up to do the task and it's something that regularly happens? So um, brushing brushing teeth. I tend to brush my teeth right after a shower. Um, And I'm in the bathroom at that point. I'm in this sort of cleaning state of mind. So it makes sense to brush my teeth. But if it was one of those things where I'm like, you know what? I want to brush my teeth uh, right after I'm home from work or or just before going to work or something like that. Well, I, I guess I am doing it before going to work because I take a shower before work. But besides the point, uh, if I if I have a if I have a situation where 
it is not conducive to me doing the particular action, I am less likely to do that. So I want to find something that's complementary to the action I want to perform. Then from there, I look for, I intentionally say, hey, when this occurs, I'm going to take this action. So I guess I, I guess for the learner or the listeners, then they first have to kind of uh, do some, some observations of what their daily habits might be. Yeah. That, that's really important. And this is this is really introspective work. I mean, same with the boundary setting. It's one of those things where you really do need to analyze your behaviors and, and your goals. Um, I mean, why do you want to set the habit in the first place? What are, what are you working to achieve? Okay, now I know that I'm trying to become more fit. Okay, well, how am I going to achieve those goals? Well, to do that, I need to I, I'll eat better and I need to... Uh, go to the gym more. I need to exercise more. Okay. So what are some good times in my day-to-day after examining what I'm currently doing, what are some good times where exercise would fit well? Well, let's look at how do I feel after exercise? Am I energized or am I just gone, (laughs) destroyed? Okay. Well, that determines before or after work, for instance. Um, Though... As I understand it, most people stick with it better if they do it before work. I'm just not a morning person, so I struggle with that. But it's um, it's actually a good kind of a good point there, like that uh, setting habits and, and goals for your, or boundaries even is not a sprint. It's more kind of a marathon when you talk about the analyzation of it. Right. Um, so in order to really set yourself up for success, I'm hearing that you need to really take some time to analyze it and not just make a rash decision of like, okay, tomorrow, these are my boundaries, uh, these are my habits, and uh, I'm going to go with it. I, I would say absolutely. And also, start small. Like with like you say, it's a, nope. uh, a marathon. Nobody says, goes from being a couch potato to a marathon runner. Or if they try to, they're going to really suffer. Um, so if you haven't set boundaries before, if you haven't, if you haven't set uh, habits before, Start with something pretty minor. Mm-hmm. Make a little tweak. Tweaking existing habits totally totally works as well. Consider what you do throughout your day and say, if you want to change the habit or something of that effect, what's my trigger? Okay, so what action do I perform on that trigger? All right, why do I get a sense of reward? Classic one is smoking. Okay, my trigger, I, I finished a meal. Okay, then I'm going to go out and have a smoke. What's the reward? Maybe it's social connection because oftentimes smokers talk yeah. together a bit. Maybe so you've got to when changing rewards get. It, I mean, sorry, changing habits can get a little bit funky, and because sometimes the reward isn't exactly clear. Um, in fact, Duhigg has a, a great story about that where he was working in an office. He'd go to the cafeteria and get a cookie every day, and. Um, he thought it was about the food. So he, he tried changing the food like it was an apple. And he still had that drive to go and do that. So he ended up doing an analysis and get, goes through a great step-by-step. And I'm not going to spoil the ending so you can go ahead and read that yourself. But um, it was not what he first thought it was. So that's often the case. But I digress. The um, My point there was sometimes the easiest thing to do is see what you can tweak of your existing habits to make it a little bit better as a starting point to start to play with habits. So maybe you want to um, maybe you want to listen to or 
consume more audiobooks, for instance. You're already really good about jogging. Well, maybe the thing to do is augment your jogging habit to listen to an audiobook while you jog. Something like that where you can kind of do is a habit stacking uh, technique. But once you start getting good at playing around with your habits, it becomes a little a lot easier to do that. And same with boundaries. Set a boundary of something small. It's like, um, heck, I don't I don't have one off the top of my head. But find something that's not emotionally charged. Find something that yeah. you know, something that is, you know, hey, you're gonna be nice. It's a preference, and they'll practice it. That's a good point. That's a good point. Not uh, not setting emotionally charged boundaries in the very beginning because those tend to be the the bigger ones. And um, yeah. before we kind of um, <clears throat> start to wrap this up, I mean, I think you and I could talk talk for hours on this topic. But um, I have two questions. Kind of, you know, we talked about how to set people up for success and how to set boundaries and how to deal. You know, use habits to kind of habit stacking to kind of keep your boundaries uh, going. But I have two questions. And my first one is, how do we deal or how have you dealt in the past with pushbacks on the boundaries that we've set? Yeah, so then that can be a real challenge. And that's a great question. Uh, so this, I'm going to bring it back to the, the goal orientation that we were talking about earlier, that generally you want your boundaries to be based on, hey, this is the high-level goal we want to achieve. Ideally, if it's an interpersonal boundary, it's one that you and I both have a common agreement that we're going for this goal. Bringing it back to, bringing it back to saying, "Hey, we're both trying to achieve this goal," um, but this is these are my needs and working towards that goal. But the other side of it is trying to understand. This goes back to empathy, trying to understand what's going on with the person who's pushing back on your boundary. What What is their state? So uh, one of my, I, I like book references, as you'll, I'm sure you'll pick it up. And one of my favorite books is called um, Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. So Chris Voss was the former head of FBI International Hostage Negotiation, and now he teaches business negotiation. And one of the things the FBI learned the hard way was the criticality of empathy in negotiation. And boundary setting and boundary defense and all that is a form of negotiation. So one of his, it wasn't until you asked this question that I really processed one of his um Recommendations. One of the ways that he tunes negotiation uh, is directly tied to pushback on boundaries, and how he does it, uh, which I am by no means a master of. Well, how am I supposed to do this with this situation? So you talked about buying a car. Well, how am I supposed to do this when I only have this budget? So then, what you're doing there—it's a—it's kind of subtle, but what you're doing there is you're inviting the other person into the space of solving the problem while respecting your boundary. So if you get pushback on boundary, reorient people on the goal. In that case, the car sale, and I'm kind of just doing this off the top of my head right now, uh, the car sale was the shared goal. Chris wanted to buy the car. The salesman wanted to sell the, the car. So how, am I, how are we supposed to do this when my budget is only here? So you're reasserting your boundary, Mm -hmm. And then you're inviting the other person to come in and say, well, 
that we do something like this. It's actually some so, good insight. Good insight. Good negotiation skills. And uh, yeah, very important parts there you mentioned about the empathy. Critical. And I do highly recommend that book. It's, it's, it's fascinating. Uh, one of the things that's really kind of cool is a lot of negotiation books are like, how do you trick your, you know, your opponent? And, that, and he refers to the person you're negotiating with as your counterpart, which I really like. And it's also not about how do you trick them. It's about how do you find common ground to work towards the shared goal. Yeah. So another thing about boundaries um, that I think is well worth bringing up is, and this is, I guess you could say the dark side, is it's entirely possible to realize through boundary setting in those conversations that the relationship isn't the right one. If, if there is a conflict of boundaries that is extremely, that is values-based, for instance, something that's a very core, hard one, you may find that uh, it doesn't work the way that you hope things would work. And you, you do get to your reconcilable point. However, the good news about that is you would get to that point one way or another. And if you do it through the discussion, you can limit the harm to some degree. Uh, whereas if you just sort of let it ride, that boundary still exists whether you acknowledge it or not. And it's going to get nasty. So, again, being upfront about it, while it may lead to very uncomfortable conversations, and almost guaranteed it will, uh, is far better than letting it fester and turn into a real nightmare. So that's one of the key things. I am, particularly in business, uh, I am about being as upfront as possible, as transparent as possible, not being a bludgeon, but instead saying, hey, this is... This is my meat. Like my client, I, I mentioned that I'm going to be um, starting up with it real soon. One of the earliest conversations was, hey, I'm in a professional master's program. I'm going to have a maximum amount of time to uh, work as recommended as 20 hours, 20 hours a week. So um, just so you all are aware, we can base the schedule around that. Now, of course, there is flexibility on both sides. If you guys need me, hard focus for a few weeks, we can make that work. But my baseline is this is where, where I need to be. And what I found is nine times out of 10, the clients really, really appreciate that because it allows them to understand how to engage with you. And the other side of it, if they don't appreciate that, you probably don't want to work with them anyway. Comes back down to your values. That's right. <laughs> Um, and are there any situations, um, you know, you, you talked about values here or like being upfront and transparent, but um, are there any situations in which you have seen, I guess this is my, my last question for you. I'm sorry. Bound are there any situations in which you see boundary setting go wrong? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, of course, the most common is not set at all. Um, so when way people don't set the boundaries, then, you know, people just assume, et cetera. But... A lot of times in clients and personal life, et cetera, yeah, it, it can be when it's done without empathy, when it's somebody trying to control somebody else through their through the use of boundaries. Um, you you should not project your control onto others. Instead, you should use boundaries as 
and I guess I'm being dogmatic here, but you should use boundaries as a form of making sure your needs are met. So for me to show up at my best in this, I, I have this set of needs. Uh, what do you need to show up at your best? That I think is the ideal way for boundaries to, to be established. But when it's one of those things where it's like, no, if you need to do this and this and this and this, that isn't what I would consider good boundary setting. I think there's also, uh, like, like you said before, too many boundaries. Um, this can also, this can lead to incredibly unsafe, even physically unsafe environments. Um, there, there's another scholar I really like by the name of uh, Sidney Decker. He works for uh, Drift University, and he does a program called Safety Differently. What this guy studies is like dysfunction at hospitals, train crashes, plane crashes, the physical safety stuff. And he's part of a school. Uh, there's also Safety One and Safety Two. Um, Safety twos from Eric Holnagel. Uh, these these folks are um, they study a different view of safety. Most people think of safety as this list of regulations: thou shalt not do this, thou shalt not do that, and so forth. But both of these guys turn it on its head and say, if we want to be safe, rather than focusing on things that go wrong, why don't we focus on things that go right, which happen more often, and how we can do those even more. And why I like Decker's work in particular is he focuses on the um, the human aspects of it. So this could this would be a pretty involved thing. But what I wanted to mention is in one of his talks, he talked about um, one of the hospitals that he was examining. And um, one in 13 of the people who went to this hospital came out in worse shape than when they went in. And he also said that was a pretty common statistic, which is terrifying. But, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Um, but that that was the case. And they started um, with their examining. They were like, oh, this went wrong in this case, this went wrong in that case, et cetera. And it's like, well, why don't we look at the times things went well? What were the difference in the behaviors? And so then they started to um, look at that. And what they found was, you know, procedures weren't followed. Uh, in both cases, procedures weren't necessarily followed. Um, there were, um, God, I can't, I can't remember all the, the details, but it was one of these things where the huge laundry list of 500 rules or something uh, an average medical professional had to follow, um, most of them, they, they followed maybe five. The outcome was based more on communication and being a solid team that it was based on this really arcane set of um, of procedures, et cetera. So that that is an example of an overly constrained system. If it's an overly constrained system, people are going to choose what they follow, and they're going to do that to try to get the job done because they want to get that job done. And they want to they want to heal their patient. Um, so they're going to choose the things that they think are the most important. So how do you set it up instead? Say, hey, how do you provide the level of care you wish to provide? So uh, Amy Edmondson has another really great, um, she's got a book called uh, The Fearless Organization, and she is the leading voice uh, on psychological safety. Mm -hmm. She's a business school uh, professor of leadership. And uh, 
Fearless Organization, great book. Highly recommend any leader read it. It's it's and it's definitely a very scholastic book with a wealth of citations. Uh, but in it, she talks about I think it was a children's hospital that she was working with, and they were a very psychologically unsafe environment where nobody would talk back to a, a surgeon or a physician. You know. Who wants to hear what the nurse has to say? Um, that sort of a thing. And um, the leader of the hospital really wanted to change that, understood the importance of psychological safety, that the teams that do best are the ones with open communication where everybody feels empowered to say, hey, wait a second. We probably don't want to prescribe that. Have you considered this? That. Those were always the ones with the best outcomes, but how do you change an entire organization, potentially thousands of people, to that sort of way of working? And what this leader did, which was brilliant, was she asked a question. Uh, if she went out and said, hey, did you see anything wrong? She would not get any response. But instead, what the question was, was let's see if I can remember, right? What the question was, was, was there anything that you observed in the past week that prevented you from giving the level of care you wish to give. And as she said, her office became a confessional where people would come in and just say, yeah, there was this that went on. And then, of course, how do you respond to that? You've got to thank the person first up. They're being very brave and sharing. And the other aspect is you look at ways to tune the system to make the system more supportive. Very interesting. Very interesting. This is my area that I love to bear down on. I, I can definitely see that, and we'll have to put all of the books that you um, that you mentioned in the in the show notes. Um, I've read a few of them, um, this fearless organization, but um, a couple others I haven't. But it sounds very very interesting. And um... yeah, Decker's work. Uh, he does have um, he does have a ton of uh, books out there. I haven't read a single one of them, but he has many 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 videos. That's been there. He's mm-hmm. back full lectures available online. Uh, Great. Just on YouTube. Um, so yeah, you, you can go really deep into his stuff. Um, and it's, it's really, it's really fascinating work. I thank you so much for joining me today. This was such a fascinating topic. And like I said, we could talk for, for, for hours on it, but, um, in general, the topic of setting boundaries is, is such an important one. And your your feedback, your insights uh, has been really, really valuable. I really appreciate that. Thank you. I'm, I'm really thrilled to be here. And thank you for inviting me. As you can tell, this is a, a topic that I'm extremely passionate about myself. Absolutely. No, I definitely am sure that we're getting some uh, people can can take a lot away from this. 